Hello and welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast. Today we'll be talking about bully coaches and what they can do to the psyche of a high school player, no matter how talented that player is. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Courtside Culture. Be sure to check out these other coaching-focused podcasts on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, and the Green Light. You can also check out our NBA-focused podcasts, including Knuck If You Buck, Cavalier Central, 305 Culture, Spanning the Spurs, Hashtag Lakers, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, LA Hoops, The Wizards Hoops Analyst, At The Buzzer, and Lakers Fast Break. Oh, don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Hey, Hoopheads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com slash team pricing to learn more. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com. Hello and welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast. I'm Dave Grinzinski and today we're talking to James Rance. James has been coaching at the high school level for the last six years at varying levels. He's been a JV head coach, a freshman head coach, and is currently the assistant head coach of the boys varsity team at Fairview High School in Fairview Park, Ohio. But today he is here to help shed some light on an assistant coach's role in building a team culture. Coach Rance, thank you so much for joining us on the Courtside Culture Podcast. Dave, I appreciate you having me on. Um, Listen to the first few episodes, love the podcast, and it's a pleasure to be on. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And I have to tell you, folks, so Coach Rance emailed me at courtsidepodcast at gmail, and I'm so glad he did because this is a topic that I think is, is a great one to discuss. And honestly, I never even thought about it. So, Coach, my first question for you is where does an assistant coach's role start when it comes to building team culture? Um, yeah. So when I reached out, the biggest thing I, you know, I put in my email was that oftentimes you hear a lot of podcasts with head coaches, but as an assistant coach being, you know, younger and getting started in my coaching journey, you you never really have a lot of podcasts that talk about an assistant coach and their role in a program. So I think the biggest starting point is really getting to know the coach you're working with the head coach really well and what their goal is for the program. And then really making sure that that fits what your goals are as a coach. And personally, um, you know, working with Coach Barry at Fairview, our goals aligned pretty much identically. So trying to get on board with where we want to take the program and how we want to, you know, build our kids not only on the court, but off the court 
it became very easy to buy in. So the biggest thing for an assistant coach is finding the right fit and then making sure it's something you can wholeheartedly buy into. So take me back to the beginning when 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 you were your your named assistant head coach. Where does that conversation start with your head coach as far as when, or, you know, did, did you have an idea of, of, of the kind of program he wanted to run? Did you know you guys were in line when you got the job? Can you kind of walk me through that? Yeah. So Coach Barry actually brought me in to do an interview. You know, he he knew who I was. He knows my older brother, who's the head football coach at Fairview Park. Um, and he brought me in to just sit down and talk to make sure it was a good fit. Um, he had been the head coach at Fairview for two years. They had had a lot of success, two 21 seasons, tons of success. So he wanted to make sure he got it right. And it started with, you know, where do you see your job starting? Like, you know, what do you think your role is in all of this? And then making sure, you know, I understood what kind of level of program I was working with, that he wanted to continue the success that we had and he wanted to make sure I was up to it. And then from there, it kind of went to some X's and O's type stuff and how I think the game should be played and taught. And after that, it was just kind of, you know, we were just talking almost as buddies, really. And, you know, him obviously knowing my older brother helped that, but a lot of it, I think we just connected with my answers and how I see the game and how he sees the game. And, I mean, did did you feel like, it was almost not necessarily even about basketball. It was just you knew this was the right fit. About five minutes in, yeah, it, it started just talking about you know how we think the game should be played in terms of you know not I don't want to say old school, but not that slow it down, run a set every single time. That we're big in skill building and mentally making sure our athletes know that they've been trained well, they've been trained hard, and they're ready to go out and compete. And he was just all about we night in and night out, we compete our hardest. We get after it, we play fast, and that's all we can ever ask our kids to do. So, you know, the X's and O's match up, you know, and now some of the other things have to start falling in place. But I, before we really get into the role and the, and the team culture building, I, I want to go, I want to touch a little bit more on, on your background, because what I thought was interesting is, and, and you made you made the point, so I appreciate you, you know, providing the insight to to your career, but what I thought was interesting is that, you know, you said, look, I've been at both ends of the spectrum. I've been with good teams and I've been with bad teams and I've seen the team culture go from, you know, we, we always talk about it going from bad to good. You said you've seen it go from good to bad. Talk a little bit about that, you know, uh, as you were going through your career and what you saw and what you learned. Yeah. So, um, when I first started coaching out, you know, I was at Lutheran West, which is a private school, but the coach that was there had taken it from a bad place and put it into a really good place. And then, you know, it just became a personal issue with the travel and where he lived and making the commute to the school to where he had to step down. And he ended up giving it over to who was then the JV coach. And he was about as old as I am, 28 and had been freshman and JV coach. And I think, I don't want to say he was completely in over his head, but I don't really think he hundred percent knew what he wanted. So I kind of got to see, you know, when you don't try to establish a particular culture from the beginning, just how haywire it can go and how it can go from such a good place to being in not the greatest place. You know, it was a team the year before when I was just a volunteer where we had 18 wins, a conference championship and a a district semifinal appearance and lost to a very good Beachwood team. And then, you know, from there, it just kind of spiraled where we only won four games two years in a row. And it just felt like there wasn't a consistent culture 
there was some areas we were really good and other areas where we weren't really good. And it kind of led to that. We had some performances where it was great. And we talked about how great the boys played and performed in other games where it's like, we don't, we don't know where they're at and, and what do we need to do better? So just to see that shift and then coming out of that, I went to another program where it was consistently one or two wins and there was no real culture. It was, we'll do the best we can with what we've got and this is how we do things. And it just, to me, wasn't a culture that really sought to improve on kids' abilities. And then going from there to Fairview, that's all it was. How can we as coaches get the best out of our kids? How do we train them? What are they like personally and their um, attitudes? What are their attitudes like? Do we need to work on their attitudes? It was all centered around how can we get better, coaches and players included. So just seeing that shift, I've really felt like it's taught me so much than just being at a program that all they do is win and there's just that one established way. I've been able to see what works and what doesn't work. Let's. I want to talk specifics. So let's talk about Lutheran West when it was good. What What was your role during that time, and what did you see that the head coach was doing that was so good about the program? Yeah, so the head coach was actually Alan Januzim. He's the head coach at Firelands right now. He's a wonderful man. Um, I really look up to him. He's a huge mentor for me. I still reach out to him every once in a while to ask him questions about how did he handle this as an assistant or even as a head coach when he first started out? So he's a great mentor to me, but he was able to really take that program and from the beginning establish its culture. I know they had individual player meetings at the beginning of the season um, after fall workouts about what did these players hope to accomplish? Was it just as simple as just making the team or was it as personalized as I want to be first team all conference and trying to be first team all district? Uh, and that was like a big thing for me, just establishing where he as the coach saw that player, what potential he saw in that player, and then also what the player saw in themselves. So just starting there to kind of help shape the mindset. And then, you know, every single day it was devotionals. And this is not only what, how we want to be in a basketball floor from just being hard nosed and tough, but how do we want to be as men when basketball is done and, and you continue to move on in your lives? How do you want to be as a man? And I think that just establishes a culture of how can we constantly get better? And so that was just something that I got to witness that I thought was great. Just constantly talking with the players about their goals, what they're hoping to accomplish. And again, it wasn't just basketball. It was for the juniors and seniors. Hey, where are you looking at going to college? What do you maybe want to major in? What's your hope for when you graduate college? Things like that. And I think that developed, that developed a sense of trust and a sense of open communication where you know, as young men, they can talk about what it is they want in their lives. This is the consistent message I keep hearing when the culture is good. And one of the things that I, that I love to hear about that, and then, and, and it's the communication, right? But it's the specifics of the communication. I think that really make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. It's, not just, hey, you know, I just, here's what I can get out of you as a basketball player. It's, I genuinely care about you as a young man and want to see you succeed. And it's those type of communications that, you know, me, myself being a teacher, I've taken that from my coaching and implemented it as a teacher. You know, I teach freshmen. So the conversations are, where do you want to be by your junior year? What kind of schools would you like to get into? And then it translates same in basketball. I mean, I make a point every year to ask the seniors that I coach with, Hey, wh where do you want to go to school? What's the plan? What are you hoping to accomplish when you graduate? And that's something, again, that I learned from Alan that was just, 
it's such a unique and personal tool where these kids kind of go, man, coach doesn't just care about what I do on the floor. He cares about me as a person. And that develops a lot of buy-in. Well, and you know, I don't know if you, if you've heard any of the hoop heads podcast network roundtables, but I was fortunate to to be among the coaches who were on the last roundtable. And the question was, what was the worst coaching advice you had ever gotten? And I, I took it from a player's perspective. And I said, you know, I, I had a coach, you'd go to the coach and you'd say, coach, am I doing everything I need to be doing, you know, to, to, to stay on the floor? Am I doing my job? And the only message I'd ever heard back, most, the most consistent message was, oh, you got to be consistent. Just be consistent. You know, and back then I didn't, you know, I didn't know any better. But, you know, looking back on it now and knowing what I know now, I'm thinking to myself, like, that is the worst possible advice he could give me because, like, everybody wants to be consistent, right? <laughs> I mean, everybody yeah, wants absolutely. to be a consistent three-point shooter or, you know, whatever. You know, and, I, and, I, and I said, you know, and I, and I mentioned this on the roundtable, you know, I said, to me, it would have made more sense if, you know, if, if the coach says, listen, you're, you're give them a, give me a specific goal. Let's say, look, you're consistently getting to the free throw line, but if you can raise your free throw percentage by, by two percentage points, you're going to add like three or five more points to your stat line, you know, and now the kid knows specifically, okay, I need to work on my free throws a little more, you know, I'm going to help the team. I'm going to help myself because I'm going to be scoring more points. I'm going to help the team because I'm going to be scoring more points, but, but to me, those are the kind of messages I think that coaches can miss out on. And it sounds to me like that's exactly, you guys were nailing it over there at Lutheran West. Yeah. And that's just, I always call them coaching terms. It's our coaching lingo. Sometimes we say simple things and like in basketball, it's always rebound. Well, you know, if it was just that simple, everybody, every team would do it and nobody would lose a rebounding battle. No, it's what are we not doing well to gain rebounds? Is it our box outs? It's, is it how we maintain position? It's, is it how we even meet our guy? Same kind of concept. If a kid comes up to myself or, or Coach Barry, that's our big thing is be honest. We're not saying it to be hurtful. We're saying it to try to help you grow. And if you're being serious about wanting to see the floor, this is what we need to see out of you. And you're absolutely right. It can be as specific as, hey, you're shooting this from the free throw line. But if you were to raise it two more, you know, percentage points, you're not only helping your points per game, but you're helping the score on the scoreboard at the end of the game. And we can trust you at the end of the game in a tight game when free throws are crucial to have you on the floor because you're a great free throw shooter. And you're absolutely right. It's just being open and honest and willing to understand that you may hurt a kid's feelings at first, but overall they'll internalize that and go, man, coach was real honest with me. Well, and, and I, you know, I think though, and what you're talking about too, you know, when you say, okay, we need to rebound better or you got to get the rebound, that is just coaching the obvious and that's not really helping, you know, much of anything. Yeah, exactly. And I just call that, that's just my simple phrase for it. You hear those, you know, coach mannerisms or that coach lingo, as I call it, it's just the obvious stuff that anybody who watches the game can yell. Oh, that player didn't get the rebound. Rebound. Yeah, well, there's more to it than that. So these are the kinds of things th that are going on on the good side. Is there anything else to add to that from, you know, outside of the communication? Were there things going on out, you know, like off the court? Because a lot of times I hear, you know, whether it's team dinners or, you know, movie nights or things like that. Did you, were, was any of that going on in, when, when you had that really good team culture with uh, that the, the, the program at Lutheran West? Yeah. So Alan was really good about bringing in outside speakers. Um, anybody, you know, again, Lutheran West being a Christian school, he would bring in good um, pastors or biblical leaders 
And then on top of it, he would always try to make a point to hopefully bring in a college coach or somebody who coached in the upper levels to where the kids are really going to be like, okay, you know, Coach Nuzzi knows this guy. Had, they feel a little bit more like, okay, Coach Nuzzi knows what he's talking about. But also, it, they're not just hearing it from him. They're hearing it from somebody else, and it's the same consistent message. So it just helped builds upon what Coach Nuzzi was already trying to establish there. And then, yeah, he would like to do retreats. And I know at these retreats, sometimes they do like a quick reading or a book study type thing with the captains where – we could really get open and honest. What does this mean? How does this translate to my role as a leader and just getting more personal, not just with the group as a whole, but at the individual level with kids. So just things like that to help build that cohesive, the same message is getting through every single day and in different ways. And it's, you know, it's about building that brotherhood or like, you know, some, you know, I, I, the, the girls varsity coaches that I talk to building that sisterhood, you know, and that's, that's really what you see. At least I'm, that's what I'm hearing, you know, doing this podcast. Uh, when, when you have this good team culture established, I'd really, I mean, and, and, and I mean, for the lack of a better term, it really becomes a family. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And, yeah. And it sounds like, 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 you know, you really had it going on there. Okay. So. Let's talk about what happened when Coach Januzzi left. Yeah, so um, obviously new coach takes over. He's young, uh, and he tried to just really piggyback a lot off of just the basketball side of things, which was great, you know, making sure we had a consistent summer workout, making sure kids knew when they were so they could get there on time because, you know, again, private school, we had kids coming from all over. It wasn't just two minutes up the road. But it just focused so much on that X's and O's that I think we lost sight of all the other things that went into, like you said, building that brotherhood, building in that family feel. So the kids truly just felt like, okay, when I show up, I'm just a basketball player. And then outside of this, I just go back to my life and what I do. And I don't think it created that sense of brotherhood. It was a lot of, I don't want to say distrust between the boys, but a lot of, I wonder if, you know, Joey's just concerned about his points and what does that mean for me? I need to get my points instead of going, no, I know what Joey's trying to accomplish here because they've spent time together. They know each other at that level and it's a lot deeper connection like a family. You know, I have four brothers and one sister and I know how my brothers and my sister are going to react to a certain situation. Well, same concept in, in basketball. The more you build that family atmosphere, that brotherhood amongst the players, the more they can start to understand where each other's coming from and you have less of that division or less of that sense of, I just have to worry about me and myself. Yeah, right. And, you know, and when it comes down to that situation where the game's on the line, clock's ticking down and, you know, somebody can take a good shot, but maybe pass up on that shot for a better shot. They're probably going to do it, right? Absolutely. They, you know, because they have that trust and that brotherhood. Exactly. And, and that's what I noticed. It was all the stuff outside of basketball that I felt really kind of deteriorated it. And that's when I started to recognize what, Allen was doing. And again, he had been coaching for a long time before he even came into Lutheran West and he had had success in Lorraine County, uh, mainly at open door. So I think along the way, he picked up those things. How do I go from developing good basketball players to a great team? Cause you see that all the time, all-star teams will fail because it's just so individualized and you'll see teams where maybe they're not as skilled, but they're a true team. And like you said, they'll work for a great shot instead of just a good shot. We'll get the best shot. And those can be the things that make the difference, especially at the end of the season. 
So you're you're taking this all in and you're soaking it in. So at the time, is that when you were were you the head coach of the freshman team, and were you able to you know to kind of carry over some of this stuff to your teams? Where were you at that point in your head in your coaching career as you were soaking all of this in and learning all these lessons? So the first year after Alan left, I was made the freshman coach, which I thought was good. I was 22, 23 years old. Good starting point for me getting into the high school ranks. Um, and the biggest thing that I took is I relied a little bit on what I learned from Alan and a lot of what I had learned from playing college basketball. And the biggest thing that I learned was establishing expectations. Who are we? Why do we want to be this way? And how is it going to help us succeed? So a lot of that was before practice, we'd talk about things like, okay, what does it mean to help the helper? And how does that make us a great teammate? So that way we're playing as a team. And my big thing was always, you know, I'm a Michigan fan. So Bo Schembechler, the team, the team, the team, that was kind of always my motto. And so that was the big thing that I kind of worked on at the freshman level to get them together. What does it mean to be a part of a team? And especially at a private school, I learned these kids are coming from so many various youth programs. I don't know where their level of skills at. So the biggest thing we need to be first as a team, the skill will come second. So that's the big thing I picked up. But my second year, I got promoted to JV. So a lot of that was piggybacking off the varsity because we practiced together. So a lot of what we did was all together. And that I kind of had to take a little bit of a backseat um, to the head coach and the biggest thing that I tried to work on is, okay, based off what coach is saying, how can I mold this in their heads to fit what I want when we're playing our games at the JV level? And so that is where I kind of learned that fine balance of you need to definitely buy into what the head coach wants, but you can also, as an assistant, mold it to be what you want too, because you're not the same as the head coach. You're two different people, so you can mold it. But a lot of that comes from the, okay, what do we do when we separate from the varsity and we're working on a drill? How do I run it this way? And then outside of it, I would do things like I would bring donuts in on Saturday for my kids. I do a bet every year where at the Ohio State-Michigan game, if Michigan loses, which unfortunately it's been happening a lot lately, (laughs) I'm buying donuts for my team. So they know, like, there's that sense of brotherhood. And then just there when we're eating donuts, we're talking about simple stuff. Hey, what's going on in school? I heard you got a crush on this girl. Just things like that to where it builds that kind of sense of, okay, while I'm here, it's not just basketball 24-7. Coach actually cares about me. I can talk with my teammates. And those would be, like, the little things that I would do, you know, as an assistant at the JV and freshman level. So we're here to talk about the assistant coach's role in building team culture. And we are we are working our way to that. But do you think, looking back on it, that that experience as the JV coach, were you already kind of learning what you know now as far as the role of an assistant coach when it comes to whether it's team, you know, team building or, you know, just the role of an assistant coach in general? Do you think you that's maybe the basis of where everything you learned came when you were coaching JV? Absolutely. Because when, you know, varsity and JV are doing things together, and it's a lot of scrimmage. It's not your voice. That's really commanding. Obviously I'm talking to my JV players, but it's the head coach who's really commanding the floor. So I started to really learn that fine line of, okay, I'm not stepping on coach's toes, but I'm also making sure that what needs to be said, or I think's not being said is being said. So a lot of just finding that fine line of where's my voice in all of this and how does my voice help the head coach? How's it an extension of the head coach? And maybe he's not seeing it this way, but I'm seeing it this way. And I can talk to the player in a different way where he might get it. 
So I started to really definitely pick up on those things. And obviously my first year volunteering under Alan was a lot of, I was the quiet one. I was really just soaking everything in. How does this work at the high school level going from being a player to now being a coach? How does this all work? So I definitely think those two years being freshman in JV really gave me a good dose of, okay, this is how it works as an assistant. Well, you are wise beyond your years because I will tell you that that some of the coaches that I've talked to who were very successful and who have been doing it for a long time almost look back at the beginning of their career and they're a little, they, well, they look back and they're almost a little embarrassed because of the way they used to coach. And it was, it was everything you're saying that happened that when, when that, when that Lutheran West program went south, you know, that's the kind of coach that they were. And I say you're wise beyond your years because you recognize the fact already that look, I'm not just going to come in here and you know I don't you know I don't know it all. I need to learn it all, you know. And you 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 needed to learn, you know. And I'm sure you're still learning your style or what what's important to you. And I give you a lot of credit for that because I don't know you know when a lot of coach you know when you're young when you're when you're a young coach and like I said I've talked to experienced coaches who said hey I was that coach. Young coaches come in, guns blazing. We're gonna do it my way or the highway. I'm, you know what I mean. It just doesn't seem to work. Yeah, no, it doesn't. And I definitely learned just how I was on the sideline during games. I was guns blazing during the games, and then I, you know, I got a couple technicals, and you know, the coach from West even said, like, you got to understand, you are a reflection of the program too. It's not just the boys; it's it's you. And after you know the one technical I got it, I just remember thinking, man, that was embarrassing. Not for the official. That was embarrassing for me. I was the embarrassing one. And it was me being able to recognize like, Hey, you got to be in control because these are teenage boys. These aren't professional athletes. These aren't grown men. These aren't college, you know, true young men in their, you know, late teens, early twenties. These are, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 year old kids they are looking to you to be the example. So um, just you're exactly right. That's when I started to really recognize like, hey, you need to make sure you're always in control. And this is more, this is less about the officials. This is less about the outcome of the game. This is more about developing these players, especially when you're a freshman in JV. It's all about developing those players for the overall goal of, of varsity. Well, yeah. And, you know, and, and I, and I think that's why that communication and being so specific is so critical. Because the kids need to understand what their role is. And if the coach, you know, is not conveying that to them and they're just walking around aimlessly, not really sure of what their role is, or they go out on the you know floor and they're pulled after a minute or two, you know, after they traveled and coach pulls them off the floor you know, and doesn't really give them a reason, you know, and and you like, you just can't play that way. Looking over your shoulder all the time or just walking around in a dark room, not really knowing what you're supposed to be doing. Absolutely. I mean, that's how it is for anybody. It's like, you're getting yelled at by your employer and they're not telling you why. So now you're just sitting there going, I don't know if I'm going to lose my job because they're not happy, but I don't know what they're not happy about. Same thing with coaching. And especially now at the varsity level, I try to make sure when they're coming off the floor and we sub them out, sometimes it'll be just as simple as, Hey, this is a rotational sub. So they're not frustrated. They don't think they did something wrong. They just know, okay, coach just wants to give me a break and I'll be going back in. And that's the kind of nice thing I noticed just from, 
you know, Coach Barry's got to be focused on the game. He's got to be making the decisions there. That's my role there to make sure the kid knows what they did. And if it's something that needs to be corrected, I can correct them now. Well, and you have just segued into the assistant coach's role in building team culture. And that sounds to me like step one. And to me, that is so important. Again, that clear communication of this is why this is happening. <laughs> you know, just just something simple like that. Is that something that you and the head coach talked about you know, when you, when you got the job, like, okay, this is what I need you to do. Was he clear with you? Like you're clear with the kids. Um, I think we really hit our stride with that the second year, but that first year was a lot of feeling each other out early on. So the big thing he just wanted to make sure I did was keep, uh, keep tabs on the players. You know, if you notice somebody's not feeling good or they're tired, let me know. And I'll make the sub. And now it's transformed into, Hey, if you see it, or I want you subbing every two minutes. Now I'm just the one grabbing the players. You know, hey, I want you going in for, you know, so-and-so. That's kind of where it's morphed to. But yeah, it was early on where he really wanted to make sure I understood my role. And he was very clear that I am an extension of him. And it started early on that first year in the summer. He went on vacation. He's a big believer that in the summer, if you're going on vacation, go get away from basketball we're not going to punish you for not being at a summer league game or a workout because we want you to go and get your mind off of it. And he, you know, goes on a family vacation every summer and I was in charge and he even said, you know what to do. You know how we do things here. Just go do it. And it started there. And that's when I really recognized, like I'm an extension of him. And so I need to make sure I'm preaching the same message, but at the same time where I give coach Barry a lot of credit, he allows you to be who you are too. And even if you don't know who you are, it gives you an opportunity to start figuring it out because he really just threw me to the wolves. I only knew these kids for about three weeks and now they're just hearing me the entire time. But I recognized what was happening there. I was figuring out how I was going to be with the kids and the kids were starting to figure me out. So there was that building there, that relationship building. One of the things you, you mentioned in your email is you like to take notes. And, Absolutely. and does it, you know, and we're not only talking about, you know, a drill you did that maybe worked really well at practice. Are we talking about even situations like this when you're, you're taking, whether it's a mental note or writing something down to say, look, I saw how like, you know, he came off the floor. He didn't look happy. I explained to him it's a it's a rotational sub and he, you know, and his demeanor changed instantly. Are those the kind of things you're, you're writing down and, and tucking away? Yeah, um, a lot of it is kind of that mental note, but if it's something that I feel is really important and I'm probably going to need when I try to become my own head coach, I definitely write it down. So that way, if I, you know, when that time comes, I become a head coach, I'm trying to spend less time figuring out who I am and what I am. And now I'm going back and going, okay, this worked. And if it works here, it definitely can work elsewhere. Or I noticed it worked with Alan. It works here now. This is just something that works. This is something you need to be as a head coach. And like you said, it's not just drills. I have plenty of those. The X's and O's stuff, you know, you can find, you can figure out real quickly. The biggest thing that I've noticed with successful programs, though, is there's a certain attitude and culture, and there's certain things that coaches do to build that. And so those are big things, and I like to put stars by those. So that way I know that, hey, this is important. You need to consider this when you take over someday. I think the other half of that is when, when, and then we'll use, well, since we're talking about this specific example of the player coming off the floor, I think what's critical though is the back half of this. When, when the player does come out 
and and you grab them and say, hey, you know, you're just we're just getting you some water. We're getting you some air. You'll you'll get back there is to deliver on that and make sure, you know, the player goes back in. And and I've seen it, coach, where a kid will come off the floor and they're told they're told one thing and the exact opposite happens and the confidence is crushed. The rest of the team feels that the culture deteriorates. I mean, it is just infectious. It is not good when when coaches tell a player one thing and then don't deliver. Do you agree? I mean, is it that important to make sure if you are going to be specific and communicate to a player yeah, that you um, deliver, that you deliver on that message? Yeah. My biggest thing is I, my big thing I try to live by is don't say anything you don't mean. Don't, don't just say it for the sake of saying it because it sounds good. And that actually my first year at Fairview was something that I needed to figure out quickly. We had some big, big games early on. We had a very, very good team. We felt we could make a super deep run in the playoffs. And so we scheduled some big games early on. And I noticed myself saying, hey, you know, it's, it's going to be a quick minute. Well, that quick minute ended up being three and a half minutes. That's not a quick minute. So I started to recognize like that, you know, he'd go back in. Why, why is all of a sudden, you know, Ryan have an attitude? Why is his attitude so bad? Well, it started to realize after about game three, it's me. That's me. Because I said it's going to be a quick minute. Three and a half minutes go by, and now Ryan feels like he did something really wrong. And Coach Rance just said that. And so that was a big note I made, you know, and circled it. Don't say anything you don't mean. So then it turned into, you know, maybe it's coming out. I don't know the next time he might be going back in. So I'm just going to say, hey, you did a great job on this play. Good job. Make sure you're cheering on your teammates. Keeping something simple that when they're on the bench, they keep that in mind and they're keeping a positive attitude. Like you said, I'm not crushing spirits in that. And I think I took that and really ran with it and was a lot better this year of if a kid's coming out and I know it's literally just a for a breather, I'm saying, hey, it's just a breather. But I'm not specifying like, hey, it's just a breather. You're going to be out for a minute. But if I know like, okay, Coach Barry came over and said, hey, we just need to give him a quick blow. He needs to go back in at this time. Now I can go ahead and say, hey, this is a quick breather. You're going in. I need you to get at the table at three minutes and 30 seconds. So now I'm starting to find, like you said, those specifics. So I'm not crushing the kid's spirit. Well, and you mentioned it earlier, Coach, because – the psyche of these kids and I, you know, and in the description of the podcast, I wrote it in there when they asked me like, you know, what's this podcast going to be about? I said, well, you know, the psyche of a 14, 15, 16, 17 year old kid. I mean, it's pretty fragile. Super <laughs> so fragile. It, it is super fragile, you know, but, and also like you said before, what I love about this podcast, you know, when I talk to, to, to coaches, I don't know where I, you know, I know and I, I we're, we got psychologists and I'm lining up authors and, you know, because this a lot of this stuff is so transferable from a high school basketball floor to the boardroom honestly you know so those types of messages that aren't delivered on like you mentioned like from from your boss you know a manager or you know a, a leader at your company you know that aren't delivered on everything's going to start coming apart right i mean everybody feels that but when you're talking about 14 15 16 17 year old kids i mean it is it is magnified you know so much just because like they're all they're going through a lot of this stuff for the first time and it's and honestly i i give you credit coach you you know 
as the assistant coach, it is so important for you to be able to keep those psyches intact. And it sounds like you're doing it. Absolutely. I mean, there's a reason that pretty much every varsity program in America has at least one assistant helping out the varsity coach. If it's one person trying to manage anywhere from 12 to 15 teenage boys, that's a tall order. That's a tough task. So that's where I started recognizing like there's two of us, which means we can hit every single one of these players, both of us. And we can definitely work on that psyche. And like you said, it's so fragile. And especially in an age of instant gratification with social media, we are trying to fight that process of it's not all going to come right now. This is a process and it's going to build up over time. And especially we want to be where we want to be at the end of the season. It's not right now. Great. We can start five and oh, well, if you go five and oh, now all of a sudden you're five and 17, what did it all mean? What did it all matter? So that's the biggest thing is like you said, it's just understanding as an assistant coach, you are an extension of the head coach and it's okay for you to also develop your own relationships with a kid where they can come to you too. You're on staff for a reason and that's to help the head coach. Do you think that some assistants maybe get caught up in, in the fact that they want their own head coaching job and they maybe lose sight of that. They're so focused on getting their own, becoming a head coach, that they forget why they're there as an assistant coach. Absolutely. That was me right away. I mean, coming out of college, I was a big like, yeah, I'll be an assistant for a couple of years and I'll be I'll be able to get my own head coaching job. And then, you know, life kind of started going on. You know, at work, I got married, and then I just started to really see like things take time. It's not going to happen right away. And I'm trying to teach these kids about not having instant gratification. Well, it's the same way for me. The good coaches, they develop over time. They learn their lessons. And so maybe it's good for me to continue to be an assistant and learn. So that way, when I do take over, I'm ready to go or I'm not so, you know, in over my head that I'm not building that culture. You know, like you said, you wanted to build a good culture, especially with these teenagers. I think that, you know, and, and just sitting here talking, you got me thinking, it's like, you know, you, if you, if you embrace the role and you, and you do you're to me, you are 100% doing it the right way. And you sit, you're, you're there and you're soaking it all in when, when you get that interview and you go, you, okay, you may not have, you know, any varsity wins or losses, you know, on your resume, right. As a head coach, but you're going to win that job based on all of the things like if i if i was hiring i'd hire you right now because you know it sounds to me like all the the boxes are checked off with what you want to build a a great program and so i think you know like i said if you're embracing what you have right now to get to where you want to go i think that that's a lot healthier for an assistant coach. Well, and I had the luxury of after my, you know, official second year, third year overall, because, you know, I kind of sometimes count that um, volunteer job as the official start to my coaching. I did get an interview for a head coaching position at a school that was really struggling. And I think they were willing to take any and all options to turn it around. And so I was lucky enough to understand what kind of questions they're going to ask. And I remember, you know, it was my wife, she was my fiance at the time. She, you know, went, Hey, how'd it go? And I said, you know what? I was not as prepared for those questions as I thought. I didn't think I was going to get some of those questions, things like fundraising, things like we talked about, what would you do to help restore the image and get kids excited about playing again? And I didn't have the answers. 
I fumbled, uh, fumbled through it. And so I went back and wrote down the questions that I struggled with. And I still sometimes look at them. So that way, like you said, when that opportunity comes, I know exactly how I'm going to answer that and what's important about, you know, how would you change the image? Well, we're going to start by building a family atmosphere, team retreats, bonding, things that'll get these boys together. So that way, the next year, kids are going, man, I, I want to play basketball. It sounds fun. This is something I want to do. And then you can start to focus on the how do we get better? So it's always the culture first. Skills will come the more you get buy-in from that. Well, and the other thing is now you have this uh, notebook <laughs> taking all your notes of specific examples that you could give to them when you're in that interview, when you say, oh, well, we're going to build team culture. You know, again, that's like telling somebody you got you got to be consistent. But now you could, you know, you can say, hey, here's what we want to do. I'm going to bring in, you know, speakers. I'm going to, you know, and name names if you have to, you know, because now you've soaked all this in and you've got, you know, you like I said, you've got this binder full of information and specific things you can cite for the people who are interviewing you for that head coaching job. Absolutely. And that's the biggest thing. After I wrote those down, it, it was things like that. And I was able to even, you know, a couple hours after go, you know what, I did have something for that. But the problem is, I'm not ready. Like you said, just continuing to soak things in. So that was a very humbling experience. And that's where I really started to take notes was after that experience. I had some mostly drills, but it was the other stuff that I started to write down and that I keep. I mean, you're absolutely right. I have a binder you know, at my desk right now that just says basketball. And inside of it, I have papers that, you know, they, they look a couple of years old and it's like, well, that must've been important that I kept it. And I'll go back and I'll look occasionally. The off season is where I really start to take this stuff in and look at it and just keep it in mind because maybe it gives some insight for the upcoming season for the program I'm at. Or like you said, if I get that phone call for an interview, I can now point to a specific example. I have it at the ready. Well, it's funny too, like, I, you know, talking about job interviews, it's so funny, friends or people I work with or whatever, you know, they get a job interview and they're, and they're like fretting over, oh my God, I might have to move. I might have to do this. I might have to do that. I don't know. Like, listen, you, go to the interview first. Exactly. I like, and, and listen, listen to this. Even if they offer you the job, you don't have to take it. No. But, but you can't put a price on the experience that you will gain by going to that interview, you know, and that's when you were telling your story, I was, I was thinking that because I've gone on, you know, I've been on interviews, even like I, I, I'm leaving the house. And I'm like, tell my wife, I'm like, I'm never taking this job, but I want to go, you know, cause I, yeah, I just want to, you know, either see the place or, you know, I, I know I'm going to get something out of it, but mostly it's, it's just that experience of sitting in front of, you know, whether it's a room full of people or one person and getting peppered with questions, it's always, you're always going to come out better on the other end. And so it sounds to you like, yeah, you, you learned everything you needed to learn in just one shot. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it was such an eye opening experience. And, you know, I always say, I don't know how many times just now that I'm on my own married house and everything like that, I call my mom and go, you know what? thank you for teaching me that. And she was big on, you need to be humble and you need to always take something away from the experience, whether it was good or bad. So I was able to take away, okay, this is what I said that I think was really well and they liked, and this is what I said that was not good and I need to get better at it. So, you know, that was an experience where when I got home, I told her, Hey, thank you for teaching me that. Because like you said, there's always something to gain out of an experience, even if it was just awful 
well, then you gained what not to do. That's how I look at it. There's always a good way to spin it. You just gained what not to do. So, Coach, when I coached you know, my son up through, you know, I coached ba- him. He's a basketball, baseball kid. I've coached him all the way up to, you know, until he got to high school. But the, the message that I always sent to the kids was, we'll celebrate the wins and we will learn from the losses. And to your point, I, I totally agree. There's always a silver lining somewhere. Yeah, and you may not know what it is. I remember, you know, that's the tough part about being a teenager is you don't always know what those lessons are until you get a little older. You know, and that's what I love about all sports, not just basketball, but obviously, you know, my avenues basketball, there is always a silver lining. And that is definitely something to take away. There's something that something good that will come from this. Yeah. And again, this is things that you, you know, you could take from the field or from the court and and carry on with you through life. And now, coach, I'm going to I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot too much. But if there was like if you were going to put together like a like a bullet point list for assistant coaches of like the most important things that they need to really be aware of you know, or, or keep in front of them when it comes to, let's talk about team culture specifically. What, what makes your, you know, your three point, your three bullet point list of things assistant coaches really need to make sure they, they have a handle on? Yeah. Um, that's actually a really good question. Um, that's something I'm, you know, I'll probably put it down after we talk here is, you know, what's my three bullet point list of advice for a young person that's coming to me? Hey, I want to be an assistant. You got any advice? Um, first one is definitely don't be afraid to hear no. Um, and I think I mentioned that in my email is your job, first and foremost, as an assistant is to not be afraid to speak up and say something, but understand if something goes wrong with the decision made by the head coach, you don't take the heat for it. The head coach does. So you need to be prepared to hear no. And that shouldn't deter you from making future suggestions. You got to be comfortable with hearing no, because at some point, if you want to become a head coach, you're the one calling the shots. So that would be my first one. Be prepared to hear no. Um, My second one, don't be afraid to go out on a limb. And what I mean by that is don't be afraid that if you notice a kid's really struggling with something, don't be afraid to pull a kid aside. It's not just the head coach that can do those things. The assistant, you're again, like I always say, you're there for a reason. Don't be afraid to pull a kid aside. Say, hey, what's going on? You know, you may not want to say it to Coach Barry. Talk to me and and I'll keep it between me and you. Talk to me. What's going on? Uh, And things like that. Don't be afraid to suggest, hey, I would love to have a team dinner at my house. I know it's not something we do, but I would love to maybe get that started. And I'd love to have it at my house. You know, don't be afraid to make a big suggestion and go out on a limb And then the third one is don't be so quick to speak. Be quick to listen first, then speak, because you'll probably pick up a lot more just by soaking it all in. And that was something early on. Like I said, being a volunteer, I knew I was bottom of the totem pole. I had to listen. I couldn't be the young guy, like you said, coming in guns a blazing and throwing off the rhythm of the coaching staff that had been there for three years. My job was to offer insight if nobody's saying something. And I notice something, I can say it, but I got to listen to everybody else first and then I can speak. And I think that was something that really helped me early on was listen first, then speak. So those would be my three. Don't, you know, be prepared to hear no, don't be afraid to go on a limb and listen first, speak second. 
I mean, that's that was awesome. I mean, for you know, for 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 setting you up there, and and you know, that that's awesome advice. And to me, coach, it sounds to me like okay, you know, we started this conversation with when you became assistant, you and the head coach were in line with the X's and O's. Okay, that's great. But as we near the end of our conversation, I feel like what I've learned from you is that the assistant coach's role is is more so filling in all of those other blanks not so much the x's and o's but all of those other things am i am i am i okay in saying that absolutely again the one thing that i've picked up being a varsity assistant now for three years is as a head coach you have so much on your plate it's more than just okay i gotta field the team out there that's gonna be competitive it's the fundraising and it's the making sure the kids grades are up to date and okay we want to do a team building next you know, activity, we got to go here. I got to make sure I got the transportation and we're covering the cost and working with boosters. There's so much that you cannot cover every base. So if you can be that assistant that can say, okay, you know, in my case, coach Barry, he can't get to this. I can, I'm going to get to this. I'm going to get to that. And I'm going to get to this. And, you know, he's even said, he feels so blessed to have had so many great assistants that are willing to pick up where he can't cover. And that's definitely the number one role of an assistant in my eyes is where are the gaps and how can you help fill them? Let me ask you this, but if you were the assistant now, knowing what you know now, if you were the assistant coach of that team that went South at Lutheran West, would do you feel you're, you're within your right as an assistant coach to maybe pull the head coach aside and and kind of clue him in as to what is going wrong with the program and and maybe try to set him straight um well that goes to my second bullet point don't be afraid to go out on a limb if there's something that needs to be said and i you know the more i think about it just throughout this conversation you know i was 23 24 i maybe didn't have that confidence early on but if it were me now today absolutely I would have no problem saying, hey, I think we're doing a good job with the X's and O's. Where we're not solid is the culture. So how do we fix it? Here's my suggestions. What do you think? And turn it more into a conversation instead of a, we need to do this. It's a, this is what I'm thinking. And then let's run with it. Yeah. No, I, you know what? It's, it's, that's good to hear because yeah. And honestly, you know, it's also part of it is, you know, like kind of knowing your role. Like if you are that volunteer assistant and you're 23, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about, you know, you're the assistant head coach and maybe the varsity coach is, you know, is, is, is missing the message, you know, um, and you with all your experience stepping up and saying, yeah, you know what, we might be able to change this a little bit. Yeah. And it, like you said, it, Totally different when I first started, completely different now. I feel like I'm miles from where I first started, and I would have enough of that courage to be like, this needs to be said. It has to be said, so I'm going to say it. Well, you are, like I said, you are wise beyond your years. And I want to, like, before we get to the fun stuff, is there anything that I that I didn't ask you about, or is there anything else that you wanted to mention? Because I think we covered everything you had in the email, which was great. Oh my gosh, it was so good. Is there anything else, or just a message you'd like to send to you know to assistant coaches out there, you know, who uh, will listen to this podcast? Yeah, um, it's kind of it went with the bullet point. You know, be a listener first, because again, the head coach is the one who's running the program. He's got to be the talker, or she's got to be the talker. Listen first. 
And then my big one is keep a notebook. That was a piece of advice my college coach gave me when I told him I was interested in coaching. And he said he did it. He had a running Word document of everything that he learned, drills, everything. So he said, keep a notebook, keep a a, a Word document. I'm more old school. I like to write it down because then it stays in my head. It kind of just finds a special little compartment and it stays there. And then I know, okay, it's in this notebook. I can go back and look. This is where I wrote something like that. Or I know it's in one of these notebooks. So definitely write stuff down. You will learn so much from the good and the bad. And if you keep a notebook, you can really start to sift through. I like this. I don't like that. That's great advice. And Coach Rance, when you get older, you need a notebook for things like, where did I put my keys? Things yeah. like that. So just I just want to let you know that that's coming. So you might, if you want to get that notebook now and just put it in a safe place, go ahead. But no, Coach, like every, like every, I'm so glad you emailed me. My God. Gosh, this is so great. So, and you know, and any other assistant coaches, hey, if you got, you know, if you got ideas out there, email the, the podcast like Absolutely. Coach Rance did, you know? Go I mean, on a limb. That was my second point. That's why I said it. I took a chance. I, even when I was typing it, going, I'm just an assistant, you know, at Fairview High School in, you know, Fairview, Ohio. I don't know if I deserve to be on a podcast, but there's no harm in trying. Listen, coach, everybody has a story and, and I think we, you know, and this is what we need more of in this world. People just need to talk. People need to understand, you know, everybody has a story and, and when you get down to the, we're all, we all want the same things, right? You know, if we have kids, we all want our kids to succeed. We all want our kids to be happy. We want to be happy, right? Everybody wants the same things, you know? So it's like, that's why I'm, I'm real big on the positive psychology and, you know, and just, just, we just need more positivity in the world. Exactly. I'm a, I'm right there with you, Dave. There's so much negative that being positive is almost, you know, going against the current. We're almost trailblazers and trying to be positive. Right. I, I agree. You know, okay. And speaking of things that are positive, one of the, n- the new things that, uh, that, w- that I started here on the podcast is uh, I'm calling it what's the coolest because you guys get to go to all these places, all these gyms, you're, you know, you're, you're gym rats, you're basketball junkies. So what is the coolest place you've either played, coached, or watched a game so far in your life? Coolest place, um, my junior year, uh, I went to Concordia University in, in, in Ann Arbor, and we played against the University of Michigan in an exhibition. So I got to play on Chrysler Arena on the Big Ten Network, and so I kind of got to get a taste of what it was like to be big time. And that's when that was uh, Karis LeVert and Nick Stauskas and, you know, a really good number eight ranked preseason poll team. So that was probably the coolest experience I've got to go through as a basketball player. Looking back on that real quick. I mean, how, how much different was it playing in a giant arena like that? You know, I always go back to Hoosiers, you know, when he gets out the, he gets out the tape measure and Hey, look, the rim is still 10 feet. You know, like, like, is it very different? It's an adjustment. It is Um, the backdrop completely different. And, you know, it was only an exhibition game, but those students only get so many opportunities at home tickets. So there was a full student section and just the constant bombardment of things. And and I give the maze rage, the student section at Michigan credit, they vetted all of our social media and found some of the most random facts to try to distract us. And I remember in warmups, somebody yelled something. It just made me laugh. I couldn't help but laugh. So just the difference in the atmospheres was something that you just never forget. 
That is crazy. And that's like something you don't get, you know, you don't get that part of it on TV, you know, when you're watching these games and like you guys are in college and they're coming after you with the social media. Oh, and just the the fact that these kids, you know, they're on TV, you don't even, they don't notice this stuff just because they're so used to it. They just get bombarded. They just tune it all out. Well, I was used to playing in front of a gym of on a great night, 500 people. And now I'm in an arena where the attendance is, was 13,000. And that's not a lot for Chrysler, but that's a big difference from 500. Yeah, that's that. What that's a great story. So the other thing, so the other thing that we you know, I like to do at the end of the podcast is what I call first things last, and I want to hit you um, just like that because I love learning. Like I said, everybody has a story, and I think this is a quick, easy way to 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 learn some of the story of Coach James Rant. So, Coach, first things last is a list of firsts that I'm going to give you. And so, your first first things last question is: What was your first job? Oh man, my first job was I was a landscaper for my brother-in-law's landscaping company. Started my sophomore year of high school. End up with a nice tan? Every year, great farmer's tan. <laughs> That's great. How about your first car? First car, I don't remember what the make was. It was a Mazda, an early 2000 Mazda that we called the Screaming Eagle because it had a faulty belt that would made the loudest screeching noise when you first got it started. And you never had to get that fixed? We, I did, but then it would come back. So I don't know if it was just the alignment, I, but I was, you know, broke college kid and didn't have the money to, to do extensive repairs on such an old car. Well, I had a car once that I, you know, I, I, I slid in the snow and I bumped a wall after, you know, and afterwards somehow it was became haunted because then like the radio would just turn on on its own and things. so maybe it was just haunted you know maybe you gotta love those old cars those first cars are always the greatest how about first pet first pets um that i can remember it was a britney super old britney it was about 12 years old but he was such a sweetheart uh his name was murphy i remember that he's such a sweetheart Nice. How about first, first, well, okay. I'll go, I, I, it's probably not going to be a record, right? But how, what's your first CD or cassette that you could remember buying? Well, the first record I ever bought was me and my wife went on a trip to Chicago after I graduated from college and I did buy a record. I'm big into vinyls. It was an Al Green. Um, and I just, I, the only reason I bought it is because it had love and tenderness on it. It's one of my favorite Al Green songs, but my first cassette was a uh, Lincoln Park. Um, I'll tell you, you know, you coaches, you, you never cease to amaze me, especially on this question. Cause it is like, it like, you know, the guy I don't think is going to have the, the, the record has the record, you know, and then like, like the song selections and, and, and the artist selections are, are just, you know, they're just, it's outstanding again. Like I would have never guessed that coming. From I you. listen to just about anything. I love music. My mom loved music and she had a record player. And so I got to listen to anything from the Bee Gees to, um, Michael Jackson. I grew up on Motown because of my mom and I love Motown too. So, well, look, we're all friends here. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, I am the biggest Barry Manilow fan around. I am a Fanilow. I've been a Fanilow since I was like seven years old. <laughs> I've got like almost every album. Like it's, you know, and my sister is too. And I drag my wife to, I've dragged her to like six or seven concerts. You know, and my big plan was we want, we want to go out to Vegas and see them. You know, uh, but the pandemic has changed yeah. that. And so uh, we're waiting. I want to go out to Vegas and see them at least one more time. But I'm a huge fan of them. So 
I'll, gi- I'll give you that one, Coach Trance. Yeah. Hey, do you remember your first concert? No, mine wasn't Barry Manilow, but do you remember your oh, first concert? Oh, man. Yes. Eighth grade, Rascal Flats at the Q. That's when they just changed it to Quicken Loans Arena. Oh, that's a good one. That's yeah. a good one to go to. How about this? First movie in a movie theater. Oh, man. I'm sure there was something when I was real little. Um, and I'm just not a, I'm not a huge movie goer. I don't know why I kind of bucked the trend when I was younger. Oh man. How about any movie you saw in a movie theater? The, the best one I saw was, uh, when Endgame came out I'm a huge Marvel, Marvel oh, yeah. nerd, seen all of them. Um, Endgame going to the theaters. I wanted to make a point that I want to be in the theater to see Endgame and get the, you know, theater experience with that. Yeah. I'm with you on the Marvel movies. How about first celebrity crush? Oh gosh, first celebrity crush, Emma Stone. Big Emma Stone fan. Uh, easy A, kind of inappropriate one suggested to any, you know, younger <laughs> yeah, listeners. But Don't bring that up around the kids. Yeah, um, <laughs> but she, uh, for whatever reason, I don't know why, it just like I watched it, I'm like, ooh. So Emma Stone, first big celebrity crush. Good for you, Coach Rance. All right, here's your last one. Now this is present day. You get up in the morning, you grab your phone. What is the first app you're checking? Twitter. I definitely go to my coaching Twitter. I don't know what I'm going to see so early in the morning before school starts, but I just hope to see something. I follow a lot of other things outside of just, you know, local high schools and stuff like that. So I'm hoping maybe I can see a set or just an interview from an NBA or a college game that maybe I just couldn't stay up to watch the whole thing. So Twitter first, I'd say Instagram is a really close second. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm I'm usually because that's I get all my news now from Twitter. I just I you know I just yeah. check it out and and see what's going on. But coach, you have been very enlightening. I I cannot thank you enough for reaching out and uh, and suggesting this topic because I know I learned a lot, and I hope there are uh, a lot of assistant coaches out there who will learn from this podcast today. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Like I said, I just feel like there's not a lot out there sometimes for assistance. So the fact that you were willing to bring me on just shows your willingness for that. And the experience was great for me. And and this is an awesome podcast that I hope really, you know, we see more assistants try to come on. Well, I'll have them. And I appreciate that. And so remember, guys, if you know a great coach or even an assistant coach who's out there doing great things, winning games, building a great team culture, we want to hear about them. And hey, Coach Ranch is proof. We'll bring him on the show as a guest. You can reach out to me like Coach Ranch did. You can just email the show. It's courtsidepodcast at gmail. You can find us on Twitter at courtsidepod, the number one, and on Facebook and Instagram, courtsidepodcast. Lots of ways to get a hold of us. Remember, build up the strengths in your players, find them all a role, and you'll take them from good to great. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us on the Courtside Culture Podcast. And remember, build the good in your players instead of focusing on repairing the bad. Find your players a role, each and every one of them, and take them from good to great. We'll see you next time.